When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Poutine Podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. This week, we've got another fascinating interview for you. In this episode, we're chatting with composer, musician, and host of the podcast Expanding on Consciousness at the famous Monroe Institute. His name is Mark Serdo. For over 50 years, the Monroe Institute has been welcoming conscious explorers from all over the world. Their non-dogmatic experiential approach allows you to pursue your own personal exploration of human consciousness. Monroe programs include the use of Monroe sound science along with exercises to target the specific states of consciousness. Mark Serto's podcast, Expanding on Consciousness, brings listeners insightful and sometimes surprising conversations with scientists and practitioners about the many disciplines and aspects of consciousness in all its forms. Mark and his guests invite you to listen, learn, and apply new ways of thinking about what it means to be interconnected, conscious beings. So first, here's Morgan. In previous episodes, Mike and I have talked a lot about creating our reality. In fact, it's the subject of every episode's spiritual healthcare, and it's important because it's an intricate part in understanding parapsychology, as well as our role in the paranormal activity and our day-to-day lives. No one understands this better than the revered Monroe Institute, founded by Bob Monroe and continued today by dedicated scientists and explorers who continue his legacy and research. As their website states, for over 50 years, the Monroe Institute has been welcoming consciousness explorers from all over the world. Our non-dogmatic approach, they say, experimental approach allows you to pursue your own personal exploration of human consciousness. Monroe programs include the use of Monroe sound science along with exercises to target specific states of consciousness. One aspect of this, which is an important factor in understanding consciousness, is the idea that we attract or allow into our experience, our wants and desires. Mark Serto who worked closely with Bob Monroe in his studies on meditation and psi research, brought up a fascinating and important conversation in his program, The Triad Mind. He stated, Are you the type of person interested in mind over matter, law of attraction, synchronicity, and the like? Do you believe in the magic of the universal life force to provide for your needs? 
If so, have you ever wondered why sometimes the universe seems to deny you what you want? Do you suffer for lack of what you want? Perhaps this dichotomy disturbs your peace. This mystery has been with us for a very long time. We know, or at least would like to believe until we know it, that our consciousness is interacting with some sort of intelligence that creates reality on a personal level. He continues, Religious speak about this phenomenon as being God manifesting things for you due to the power of prayer or allegiance. Quantum field theory speaks of this phenomenon in terms of reality interacting with our attention. If either of these are true, then we can easily become confused as to why we cannot manifest or pray our way into happiness and abundance. When we pray real hard or focus real hard on what we want and it doesn't come, what should we think? That God or the universe is testing our faith? That we are not deserving of what we desire? That desire itself is the problem? That our fate is telling us something about our past life karma? Perhaps some other theological or philosophical answer and question can be inserted here. They all address the same thing. Trying to make sense out of the dichotomy. This conversation is an important one and is often the crux of why skeptics say, if this is indeed true, that we create our reality, then why aren't I a millionaire? I've been trying and trying to see a ghost all my life, and it's never happened. Or, well, you fill in the blank. Even people who understand this information, well, there are some desires that seem to elude us. Why? That's the subject of this very discussion. Recently, we had the privilege of speaking to Dr. Dean Radin about this idea in a previous episode in a slightly different context, and he even offered the idea that some people have an actual talent for manifestation, on top of the ability to meditate and let go of what we want so it can appear in our experience. How much of this is talent versus our own baggage and limiting beliefs? If so, what are they? How do we know? Would we have one? And is the idea that we have limiting beliefs at all a limiting belief in itself? Join us as we fall down the rabbit hole in this amazing discussion with the incredible Mark Serto. As he stated so perfectly, you are not meant to suffer. You are naturally wired to create order out of chaos. You are meant to learn to use and embrace consciousness in a new way. That begins with learning about it, exploring it, and applying what you've learned. Here's our interview with Mark Serto. You have talked a lot about the the podcast and whatnot over the over the last little while, and of course, we're friends on Facebook. You've uh, the Monroe Institute has launched this incredible podcast. You're on season two. I, I'm. I'm so excited about this. And like I've said in, in the past and, and offline to you guys is that, that this is the conversation that needs to be had about consciousness, about creating your reality, about what this all means. And so, so Mark, tell people about this expanding consciousness, why they need to be a part of it, because it's a fantastic podcast. Well, first, thanks for having me on your podcast to extend that conversation. The Expanding Unconsciousness podcast is really 
a labor of love because it is my favorite conversation, uh, consciousness and what do we do with it and how do we explore it and why that's important. And I get to talk to some of the most amazing scientists out there doing some incredible research around consciousness that is completely ignored by so many of the sciences that are involved in consciousness. And I find that fascinating. You know, I mean, for me, as you said, uh, to your point, this is perhaps one of the most important conversations we can have as human beings because it expresses who we are and what we think we are and how we react to that thought and belief structure towards each other and to the environment around us. So I get to have conversations with quantum field theorists like Federico Fijin and Tom Campbell, and I've spoken with Edgar Mitchell, who's an Apollo uh, 14 astronaut, uh, eighth man to walk on the moon, I believe. And he started the Institute of Noetic Science, and that relationship obviously extended to the current uh, administration and research directors like uh, Dean Redden and... Um, and Helenian uh, uh, Wabe, who's doing some incredible research on uh, intuition and how it applies to things like channeled information, you know, things that are accessed in altered states. I get to talk to people like Monica Galliano, who is an incredible researcher on plants, who actually proved in her research that plants are not only alive, they are also aware and, more importantly, sentient they react to the information that comes to them and make decisions so suffice to say i'm you know i just love my gig doing that and that's only part of my my work with consciousness research but i just love the conversation so thanks for asking so what 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 was it that that directed you toward this uh area of study what how did you fall into this <laughs> A well-planned accident. Yeah, <laughs> I I was um, I was a curious kid. Um, I had what I would call a self-reflective slash self-transcendent moment when I was maybe seven or eight years old. I I had a couple of them during that period in my life, where I felt as if there was something more to the picture, you know, than met my eye. And um, I, I won't go deeply into what those experiences were, you know, because that's just fodder for, oh, wow, Mark had some really cool experiences. And I think it's more important for people to have their own direct experience. But those experiences prompted me to a level of self-knowledge that was inquisitive. In other words, there was a hole there. I didn't know what that self was but I had a sense of it within me. And it was other than just the, the little eight-year-old expression of Mark, you know, who was really into baseball and mm -hmm. things like that at the time. Sure. There were life's bigger questions. And simultaneously, at the same time, I had lost a friend who was my age. So I think that had an impact on my thinking about the meaning of life and how fragile life was. And as I got a little bit older, that self-knowledge that I was referring to earlier, um, which included music, 
that became my North Star. That kind of defined who I was going to be as an individual and something to chase after. And I studied it and I loved it and I nurtured it throughout my teen years. And um, I really wanted to make sure that this was the thing that I ended up doing for my profession, music. Mm-hmm. And I did. But in order to get there, I had to get beyond a lot of what I'll consider limiting belief structures that were either inherent within me, you know, self-doubt, that sort of thing. Can mm-hmm. I really do this? And combining that with um, the doubt that was heaped upon me by others, you know, sure. how can you do this? You know, I don't want you to live in on my couch for the rest of your life. You know, I want you to get a job. And, <laughs> and I did all of those things, you know, and I managed to become a self-actualized musician or self-actualized artist. And that's how I pursued my life. But the thing that enabled me to do that back to your original question was this thing called meditation, which back in 1975, Five, 76, at least in the circles that I traveled in New York City, were, um, it was kind of a fringe thing. You know, right. it wasn't like sure. there was a yoga center on every corner or anything like that. So I had to learn what I learned for, about meditation through books. And that precipitated other experiences. I call them anomalous experiences, some of which are transcendent, some of which are revelation of, you know, my own internal thought process, Um, you know, self-awareness in a different flavor of self, not narcissism, but looking into what it is that is the essential nature of self. So that's how I got started. I got started in all of this very early. And then um, as far as meeting Bob Monroe, I followed my intuition, basically, and moved to, from New York City to Charlottesville, Virginia, to start a new life with my then wife and my stepson at the time. And uh, I got very interested in recording, so I decided I was going to open a recording studio in this small uh, or a thriving and growing university town. The Dave Matthews Band are from there, you know. And um, one day I came back from a, a trip to London, England, where my father-in-law was recording at the Abbey Road Studios, and I got a chance to, you know, kind of do some assisting work there, and uh, came back to my own um, answering machine, you know, it was 1986, I guess, and on that answering machine was a phone call that simply said, call Bob Monroe, and I did, wow. and we talked, and Bob and I became fast friends, and it started an odyssey of uh, creating binaural beat recordings or hemi-sync recordings mm-hmm. for the Monroe Institute and what's now known as Monroe Products. It's such a phenomenal institute. I mean, we had the amazing Alan Evans on just last year, and we, we mm-hmm. talked at length about, about Bob Monroe and his story. And what really caught me and what I found so interesting was your story and Bob's story are so similar, you know, with your backgrounds and whatnot, like you must've felt a bit like kindred spirits. We did. Yeah. Yeah. We got, there was a vast age difference between us. Um, I'm going to say that Bob was about 73 years old and I was, uh, 27. Oh, wow. And, yeah, but um, because Bob was who he was, meaning very curious and 
artistically bent and young at heart, uh, even though his body was starting to fail him at that point in time. Um, he was he was an engineer. He loved sound. He loved the the exploration of the potentials for sound as evoked potential for brainwave response, which you know then walks into the world of the brainwave consciousness correlations, which is what we specialize at Monroe. But my interest in that um, precipitated, um, or I should say was predated to binaural beat stimulus as evoked potential through the works of uh, music, musical works in general, uh, mostly um, the, the uh, intonations of various sounds that are used in Eastern culture and meditation, sounds like OM and trying to get many harmonics and uh, the drone sound and sitar and, and the rhythm of tablo drums and all of those things the body, mind, spirit does and train to. Um, you know, I think I came to that conclusion earlier by um, paying attention to people like Pink Floyd and the Beatles. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, the the work that Monroe Institute does is it, it's so mind blowing, and I know even like a lot of my colleagues that have have visited uh, over the years have just been absolutely amazed at, at what they've they've learned. You must have had some pretty major aha moments while you've oh, been yeah. working there too. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. What were some of the biggest things that you learned? Looking back on it, God, I spent 13 years there, Morgan. I don't know. Every day was a party. <laughs> <laughs> How do I just? I, I'm pretty sure I couldn't choose any one. What amazed me, all right, if I had to choose one, it was that that place even existed. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what really amazed me. That was my greatest joy and my greatest experience was that there were people who came from all over the world from a as varied backgrounds and professional backgrounds as you can possibly imagine. So if it had to do with consciousness, people, um, you know, people came. <laughs> so sure. the varied backgrounds were everything from, you know, medical doctors who specialized in neurology then the various branches of psychology and the various branches of mysticism and the various branches of just people, you know, average ordinary seekers trying to figure out what it was that I was trying to figure out at a, a very young age, you know, yeah. am I more than my physical body? And that simple premise or concept from the perspective of the Monroe Institute and myself is that has to be experienced directly. Yeah. Religions have all implied that mm -hmm. that is true, right? But if you don't know that for yourself through direct experience, which, you know, people who have near-death experiences come back and tell us that, people who have out-of-body experiences um, can tell us that from a slightly different perspective, you know, because they're not actually dying. They're just, for some reason, leaving. If you can have those experiences, it changes the way you look at your life is the best way yeah. that I can say it. And the fact that the Monroe Institute existed for the scientific possibility of doing that safely and methodically is what really attracted me to stay there for as long as I did. 
and continue the work today. I believe direct experience is absolutely essential. For me, um, uh, I can't relate to dogma uh, at all. I, I seem to have to have my own experience, like you're saying, like uh, understanding spirit as I understand it, as mm -hmm. I yeah. experience it. I can't have. I I can't seem to get there if somebody else is talking to me about it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And what I loved about Monroe Institute, again, because of the varied professions and querents that were there, I could get, I could take on as a very young person a very syncretic type of viewpoint as to what this thing called experience actually is, why it has meaning how it can be directed, how it can be influenced, how it can be um, influenced by something outside or within you. You know, yeah. I mean, we're talking about how human beings have their way and agency and authority in the world. To be able to have direct experience of the self, in whatever state that is, you know, could be a transcendent state, it could be a very, you know, emotional state. I mean, there are a lot of components to this thing that we call a self. To be able to take time to examine that and really go down that rabbit hole of the meat of experience and how it applies to existence was a real gift for me. And for everybody who shows up there now, everybody would come for a week. It was my playground every single day. That's all I did, you know. So it's, it's just, you know, an unusual experience to say the least, when I'm very oh, blessed to have had. Absolutely. Well, and that's, you, you touched on a few things there that I, I love and some of my passions as well, which is the ability to, like experience that influence and then be the influencer. And right. I think like that's something where uh, parapsychology, of course, is, has really embraced, especially over the last like 15, 20 years mm -hmm. or so. Um, and that to me is, is such a profound understanding and discovery that you guys are talking about because it, so much of the, I don't know, I guess like the, you know, the sort of the surface paranormal world and whatnot is always assuming that sort of our world is, is asserted on us. And we know that that's not the case. And what I okay. love so much about the Monroe Institute does and what you do in the podcast um, and even the triad mind as well, is that you're really able to show and demonstrate to people that that is simply not the case, that we are influencing our reality, whether it be through the spoon bending courses mm -hmm. or, you know, any of that stuff is, is so cool. Um, and you explore a lot of that in the triad mind as well. And I want to talk about that because it's so cool. Can you talk, tell the audience about what that is? I can. And I have to go back again to Bob Monroe and his influences. If you look at what he said in his gateway affirmation, as a kid, you know, and so many people come there because they've read Bob, Bob's books sure. and they want to have out-of-body experiences. So Bob begins with a simple affirmation that begins with, I am more than my physical body. And that notion, all right, is very appealing, as I said before, to a lot of people. They want to have that experience. But Bob, in his wisdom, 
I don't know if he really understood the full potential of what he was talking about, or at least it wasn't realized at the time at the Institute for, uh, you know, because of the fixation on being on the out of body experience by people who came. The second lines or the second, third, fourth lines of that affirmation are, therefore, I deeply desire to know, to explore, to understand, to control, to use, to direct such energies and energy systems as may be beneficial to me and those who follow me. That's a very powerful statement. Absolutely. Because you have to start asking the question, what are these energy systems that we're talking about here? Mm -hmm. Then the energy system itself is consciousness. Now, consciousness is a very big word for me anyway. That's why mm -hmm. I love the conversation. Consciousness is experience on a personal level. We all have our individuated sense of consciousness, which includes a lot of different aspects, which I'll talk about in the, as we talk about in the triad mind. But it's also impersonal. It is that field in which people like Sheldrake, people like uh, all the folks who are involved in quantum field theory, Einstein was fixated with it, Tesla was fixated with it. There is something that we are living in. Think of consciousness as being a sea in which we swim, is how Joseph Campbell put it, right? Mm. Where, where the, uh, you know, psychotic drowns, where the mystic swims with delight. We're talking about consciousness, and we're talking about it on an, an impersonal level. It's something we're interacting with, like a subject-object split. And that is how I believe a lot of this psi research is pointing us to back to this field Absolutely. of activity, whether it be paranormal research, whether it be spoon bending, which I spend no time doing, by the way, I, you know, I'd much, I'd much rather work on these <laughs> My wife likes a cutlery. You know, she doesn't. Love me. <laughs> it's just not my thing anyway, but you know, it does help people understand that the, molecular nature of reality is in fact being influenced to use the word that you brought up just a few moments ago by this thing called consciousness simultaneously the external consciousness that impersonal consciousness is also affecting us and we are affecting each other through our expressions of consciousness and all of each other's individual consciousness is in fact informing the field, which is this thing that we call reality. Now, from a scientific standpoint, and I get the opportunity to talk to scientists about this, they're working all that out mathematically and with physics and, you know, they write these hieroglyphics on extended blackboards and say, see, there's proof. <laughs> The, the yeah. mystics, however, have known about this forever. They just didn't have the same language that we have. But this field, I believe, is responsible for all of it, whether it be the manifestations of, you know, uh, disembodied 
or disincarnate beings who were once alive and are now passed beyond the veil or the creation of things like what we see in quantum field theory with the observer phenomenon or remote viewing or psychic abilities or because it's all information and it's all vibration and it has its way within our what we think are our physical systems within the body but it's really just vibration totally that's all it ever was you know so that's why i do what i do with regards to sound because that too is vibration the sound of my voice is vibration everything and it's all information so uh, that's what we talk about in the triad mind how to become more aware of the vibratory information that content that exists within our conscious awareness as we are awakened and have movement and authority in the world and we, in the world of action so to speak and the content that exists within our own personal subconscious from information we've absorbed during the course of this lifetime, potentially other lifetimes as well, and a what Jung referred to as a collective, which has information existing in what the quantum field theorists call Hilbert space, you know, of um, a theoretical space where all information and emotion exists. And that's theoretically what psychics are accessing when they are doing this, you know, their, their particular function. Uh, Jung referred to it in terms of archetypes and the connective tissue between all things, I mean, the manifested world as being revealed through the process of synchronicity, the yeah. law of attraction. All of these things have been spoken of forever. And this is, none, this is new at all. We're still just trying to figure it out. And the triad mind is another contribution um, towards that figuring it out. Mostly to direct, control, and use. Not just only explore, but use it. Use it wisely. Yeah, yeah, and I, lo I love that about, about what you guys are doing. Because, as I say, with the triad mind, with Monroe Institute, what I... What I I'm such a fan of is the empowerment that you are are offering and the, the the lessons and what the access that you're you're positioning people for you know you don't tell people what to look for but you're positioning them to open up to their own connectivity and I think that's just so cool um and, you know we talking about law of attraction and stuff you made a post recently about that and i just i loved it because i completely agreed with, with with everything you were saying um and you know I, as i was reading it i'm thinking you know so many people are so convinced that this is such a, a sort of woo-woo thinking that it's that it's a buzzword and i think a lot of people look at things like uh, you know manifest manifestation and uh, sort of that that consciousness field or, or whatever it is as just, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's wishful thinking or, you know, whatever, whatever they're, they're telling themselves about a lack of understanding, basically. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe the, the concept of manifestation for those who aren't sure or think we're all <clears throat> crazy as hell? <laughs> you mean, how would I get them to understand that they too are doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Um, let's put it in very mundane terms. Okay. Let's say I have a weight loss goal. Okay. I want to lose 20 pounds <laughs> for whatever my motivation is. Sure. The very notion that I've sparked that idea has been sparked into my head is because of the information that I'm getting from where my bathroom mirror. Okay. Right. So I'm, I'm looking at myself and personally assessing myself as being overweight and I need 20 pounds to lose. So now I've got a motivation. All right. That idea, that observation all begins with this nebulous thing that we're calling consciousness, right? It starts there. <laughs> That's where all ideas begin. They, yep. they come out of nowhere. They spring, right? Okay, well, now I have to put that into the world of action. And that makes the idea of manifestation somewhat more in the mundane. You know, it's self-evident. Okay, so I eat less and I start to exercise. I'm applying agency and authority based on consciousness, right? The idea that I should lose weight sure. into the world of action, right? And so any skeptic can look at the idea of the, and the result, obviously, if we're successful in our endeavors, we lose 20 pounds, right? <laughs> That's wonderful. Now I manifested my body anew through using consciousness, okay? Mm -hmm. I had to put in some physical work with it, yes. I had to use consciousness to discipline myself to maintain my dietary standards, my new ones, get rid of old habits, old belief structures, and begin to exercise in a way that was beneficial to my right. goal, right? So that's just a very simple and mundane thing. <sighs> you know how what kind of power that is? <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't know if you happen to be a skeptic, all right, on this. Ask yourself, does your dog ever decide to diet and exercise? Oh, does that your, is a good point. Does your cat have that kind of discipline? Does, do they even I know care? mine don't. Right? Right, exactly. They don't even care. Okay, no. and that is such a yeah. simple thing, a simple example. Fish don't do that. Plants don't do that. Nothing else on this planet is doing that but us. That is a unique function of our consciousness, and we build cities as a result, right? I mean, I was just talking on a very personal yeah. scale, but we, can, we build civilizations, we build concepts, we build ideas, we make music. All of this comes from nowhere, right? Yeah. It comes from this thing that we call consciousness. We get an that idea is a brilliant example. <laughs> I mean, it's so simple and mundane, right? Yeah. Now, how does that apply to, and I'm speaking to the skeptics in the audience. Of course. How does that apply to things like paranormal phenomenon or anomalous states of consciousness like, uh, or consciousness experiences like the out-of-body state? The answer is, from a scientific standpoint, we don't really know. We have theories, okay? That's all we've got. And we run experiments. And interestingly enough, a lot of those experiments tend to come out in the affirmative that there is this field that we're interacting with. All right? Yeah. Then you have all of the charlatans in the world, 
you know, the folks who just, this is all pure entertainment for them. Yeah. The amazing Kreskin, you know, back in the day. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I can understand why people are skeptical. I personally love skepticism. I happen to possess a great deal of it. Mm -hmm. I, I came upon a word the other day, and I have, you have to just excuse me as I call up my computer because I know it's right here and take a look at this word because it was just a brilliant word and the word is zetetic method In, oh, no. that's a new one <laughs> right I, I i i just came upon it doing research of something else and i said wow why isn't this method employed so we have two methods for exploring paranormal research all right or anomalous consciousness research. One is the scientific method, and the other, which is now seems to be falling out of favor, is the zetetic method. And it comes from the French word zetetique, which basically is the ability to, um, I thought I wanted to define this, it had, well, the etymology is interesting enough, but it's it's basically, from what I understand, and I need to do more research around this, it basically uses mathematical principles as proof, much like physics does, okay, okay. for conceptual ideas, to try to understand what it is that this thing called consciousness is that we're interacting with, this weird spooky action at a distance to quote Einstein that allows this to happen. We, we just don't know. That's, yeah. that's the bottom line yet over and over and over and over in sci research, they are pointing to this over and over and over in quantum field theory. They are pointing to this. Now I'm not so hung up on, how does that work? I'll leave that to greater minds than mine. You know, those physicists with the blackboard that write hieroglyphics, sure. they can figure that out. <laughs> I'm very interested in knowing whether A, it's true, which I have proven to myself, and B, how can I perfect that action yes. to know, control, understand, and use and direct that energy and energy system Absolutely. in order to not only fulfill my life, self-actualize, but also to learn to do that in unison with what I perceive to be a higher mind intelligence. Some people will call it the divine. Some people will call it God, higher self. It doesn't really matter. But it seems to be playing a part in my life as well. So while I am not a, I, I have a problem with predeterminism. You know, I don't like the notion of fate, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a Westerner, you know? Right. And yeah. Westerners, they tend to like to get out there and project things in the world and make things happen, <laughs> right? Rather than sit around and wait for Allah's will to be manifest. But you can't discount this higher intelligence. Yeah, we are soaking in it. 
evolution, you can call that the higher intelligence, if you like, has mm -hmm. brought us to where we are. Our superior neocortex was developed over time, and we use it well. As we said, you know, our animals that we've domesticated and live with and love and overfeed can't regulate their own dietary intake, right? And make themselves <laughs> manifest in the world like we can. So that's what I'm very interested in working with. But I, I'm very, it's not just about self-actualization for me. It's also about self-realization because, yeah. and the mystics talk about this in terms of like the difference between white magic and sorcery, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't really pay much attention to the difference between white magic and sorcery, but I do pay attention to intention. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of the information that is fed to us by various sources are oriented towards, you know, pushing us in a particular direction. To me, that's a form of sorcery. Which goes back to, yeah. you know, what you're complimenting the Monroe Institute and myself about that we're trying to empower, but I cannot tell someone how to direct control and use those energies and energy systems, or rather for what purpose they should do it. Yeah. Okay. I can just make them curious and then hope that some higher wisdom informs that decision. And that's the yeah. latter part of Bob's affirmation. Therefore, I, you know, I'm, I'm, he, he was very big on asking for the help, guidance, and wisdom of those who um, have a greater overview of what I, that is. I, I've been I've been struggling with this question for pretty much my entire life, mm -hmm. and uh, you're talking about intention and that kind of thing. And what I've learned. Uh, I've been meditating uh, pretty much every day for almost 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm finding is if, if I'm, if I want something to happen in my life, unless it's for the greater good, quote mm -hmm. unquote, mm -hmm. it, I, I can't seem to, it, it never quite <laughs> seems mm -hmm. to manifest if it's based on my ego like I want a fast car and a and million dollars mm -hmm. <laughs> that that doesn't seem to happen but there are other things that I have been able to manifest that always seem to be based in that idea of greater good if that makes any sense to you at all of course um, how do you yeah. define the greater good how do you discern what's the greater good um you know, well, that's a good question <laughs> yeah yeah, personally, it's it's uh, it's it's a lot of meditation. I tend to sleep on something before I really uh, make a decision about something. Like I put it out there to the universe or whatever, and and have a have a nap. Uh -huh. <laughs> and and when I when I wake, typically I'll have the answer. Right. It's it's yeah. It's really interesting how that works. Yes, it is very interesting how that works. Maybe if I ask my question. A little differently I might be able to help you um, okay come to some understanding of or at least share some of my understandings around that the question how do you determine what is the greater good implies a value judgment okay mm -hmm. and when I think of greater I'm thinking oh, what is, is Mike talking about the um, uh, collective 
human mm-hmm. civilization. For instance, if you do something, um, uh, it will only manifest if, if in fact, it's helpful to all of humanity. Is that what you meant by the greater good? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Well, that's an interesting notion. I, I like it. I, it implies that you have a good heart and you want to make sure <laughs> that you want to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of moral code, I think, is important. But we also know that there are plenty of people out there who manifest all kinds of things that don't apparently feel like they're for the greater good of humanity, yeah. right? Um, shall I point to some historical figures who started? Oh no, we're, we're, we're all well aware. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Then it could be in some form of philosophical or or spiritual debate as to whether or not Hitler served a greater purpose for humanity to see the right, evils yeah. of humanity. Which is all cool, you know. Sure, mm-hmm. okay, I can I can sit with that. Yeah, Hitler did expose all of humanity's darkness, right? And you would think, as a species, we might learn something from that. But from what I understand, uh, just clicking on the news for five minutes, we obviously have not reached <laughs> right, reached that point. Yeah. So, who's in charge of the greater good is the question that emerges for me. I yeah. guess it's the individual. Yeah. Right. So if I was working with you in the triad mind, I would help you to, I would encourage you to inquire about the depth of your beliefs around what constitutes a greater good. Hmm. Not from Mm, a, I'm trying to change your mind thing, because I'm not, I, I can't change your mind for you. But I have discovered that in, because I too struggled with that. It's a very human thing. You're not alone, like just to let you know, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I've discovered that there were certain belief patterns that I had constituting what my ideas were about what is the greater good. And those were in some way limiting to me. Now, if what is proposed by the law of attraction or, you know, however we really want to term that, if what we think does manifest, then those limiting beliefs may be, in fact, keeping you from achieving the goals that you're setting out for yourself. Right? My brain my brain is leaking out of the side of my ear. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry. The- and they will, we'll end the podcast here. <laughs> don't, don't get a paper towel. That's really, really a good thing because I, I love this kind of conversation that challenges me to look at, uh, uh, we call it old ideas uh, in, in the fellowship that I belong to. And uh, it's really, really interesting <laughs> that, oh yeah, my idea of the greater good might be one of those limiting beliefs. It's yeah. just like, what a mind-blowing idea in conversation this is. Well, I'm, I'm just presenting that as a possibility. There, we can go down an incredible rabbit hole of how beliefs are fed to us, how we, you know, human beings are kind of hardwired to make sense and meaning out of just about everything. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's just what we do, <laughs> unlike our dogs and cats who are like, <laughs> the only thing that means anything to me are treats. Can I have some more? Uh, <laughs> we, Because of that, sometimes in our life experience, we analyze the circumstance that we find ourselves in or an event that happens to us as equaling 
this. And that becomes very deeply rooted in the human psyche. Mm. And mm. one of the benefits of exploring altered states of consciousness, and again, we can get back to the triad mind, the, um, the meditation discipline is centered around what is referred to in sleep circles as the hypnagogic state. Mm. Bob yeah. Monroe called this focus 10, uh, mind awake, body asleep. I just refer to it as the hypnagogic state. It is a very unique state of awareness to be part of. Now, for those of you listening who have no idea what the word hypnagogia is, it is basically the threshold that we all experience between awareness and deep sleep. Okay? We can just call it simply that. People who practice meditation and work towards the hypnagogic state, like what I do in the triad mind, like what is proposed at the Monroe Institute through focus levels, have a unique access point to subconscious content. That means that they are bringing their conscious mind awareness, this awaking awareness, into a doorway that is only reserved for unconscious activity, everything that lives in your subconscious mind. Hmm. Right. So when people go into deep meditation states and, you know, arrive at the hypnagogic state and maintain a level of awareness as their body is snoring away. And believe me, that does happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, quite. You know, the first time it had happened to me, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> my, my wife is right. <laughs> I, do snore. I didn't believe her prior to. Anyway, you know, all that content begins to bubble up in what, you know, if you do dream analysis, and I know Jungians who might be listening are very interested that content bubbles up. Now, that content is rooted in symbology, mm -hmm. all right, for the most part, because it's think of it in terms of, I don't know, computer bytes. You know, when you type in a Word document, uh, you know, you're writing a letter, you think you're, you're, you've got a syntax going there. Dear Joe, how are you? I'm fine, blah, 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 or, you know, four score and seven years ago, what do you have to yeah. be writing? Right. But to the computer, that's just one zero zero one zero zero one 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 zero 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 zero. right? If you were to look at that raw data that the computer's looking at and see those ones and zeros, it would make absolutely no sense to you. Same thing applies often with subconscious content because it's symbolic in nature. It represents something. It doesn't necessarily re represent the same syntax of your conscious mind. Well, that's a great analogy. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's a computer analogy and it's been used yeah. before, but it, it's apropos. The same, so one has to begin to ask themselves if they are curious at all, because a lot of people are you know, mildly curious. <laughs> yeah. So they, they might look at this content after achieving uh, experiences in the hypnagogic state and say, oh, my God, I've seen an angel, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, people see all sorts of things in altered states of consciousness. And yes, that may be true because on one level, that angel may be representing something that is within your subconscious that is needing to be expressed and or fulfilled. Yeah. On another level, the supra-conscious level, 
Franklin, because we're exploring three levels of mind in the triad mind, conscious, subconscious, superconscious. We're talking about the world of archetypes, that world of connectivity or interconnectivity that Jung spoke of with the collective unconscious. We're talking about the religious impulse or spiritual impulse that is ubiquitous on this planet. You know, I mean, it's not regulated to one culture and not all the others. Human beings are spiritual beings. They want to understand what the nature of their being is and whether yeah. that being does survive physical death. And again, you know, these questions are with us for thousands of years. Why we've not solved them by now is the mystery. Maybe because it can't be solved. I don't know. Or maybe because it's always expanding and, and evolving like evolution itself. I don't really know the answers. Yeah, well, and you, you bring up such great examples of the idea of uh, people's beliefs or subconscious beliefs. Like, it, it's so interesting. We had um, uh, Dr. Dean Radin back on in January, and you know, we had talked a bit about that is, you know, what whatever your belief is, even if, like Mike, you were talking about you know, I can only manifest from the greater or for the greater good, it, that in and of itself is going to manifest. And right. it becomes this, uh, and I, I've, I've been, ever since that interview, I've been working, <laughs> working on this question, even with myself, like, what is it that I've got going on? And I, I've, what I've discovered is that a lot of what really hangs people up and uh, apart from like what, what you were saying is the what is like so much of this tends to be people trying to dig up their past to solve their issues or you know they're looking at the what is because well if, if i just deal with the what is and then they kind of get hung up in this muck of mm -hmm. trying yeah. to sort out the past and trying <laughs> to figure out the and and whatnot and so like for example for the audience um you know say it, one of your intentions is, you know, I, I don't know, you like you miss a, a relative or something like that, and mm -hmm. you want to visit with them, but they're not there. So you're trying to unpack what to do, how to do, you know, and that they're trying to unpack stuff that maybe doesn't necessarily need to be unpacked, but replaced by a new belief or a new intention. Mm. Am I am I on the right track with that? You are, you know, at the very first, um, meditation discipline that I got involved in when I was speaking about when I was 15 was a Western style meditation. It was created by a man named Jose Silva and he called it the Silva method of mind control mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. time. Yep. I was very interested in that because he began to speak about these limiting belief structures and how they come to us and how they can be rooted out. And that sparked an interesting conversation that seemed to last a couple of decades, perhaps it still exists now, <laughs> about the yeah. power of affirmation. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was Al Franken who used to do the Saturday Night yes, Live skit and he'd right. sit in front of the mirror and say, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. You know? Yeah, and then he'd and, beat himself up. Right, and then he'd beat himself that. up. Right. <laughs> I think the message there is that affirmations are not quite as powerful as one would believe. And mm -hmm. in other words, yeah. I, or put it this way, I had not been successful in simply saying, I will be this, or I I am this or that. You yeah. know, even if in that golden moment, I might be, you know, giving myself new information. 
but if it is, there's a lot of gravitas to trauma. Okay. People, mm -hmm. you know, they feel that thing and you can even feel it in your body. You know, when somebody's hurt you in the past, especially as kids, we were a lot more emotionally um, in touch with what's going on in our parasympathetic nerve system. Sure. So when somebody uh, insults you or tells you, you know, you'll never be good enough or smart enough or whatever it is. And yeah. it doesn't matter what your deeply held conviction is that instance has more gravitas, like a black hole, like yeah. the explosion of a star that now sucks everything in. <laughs> yeah. so, so true. You can, you try to implant new information in there and hope for success. But my sense is you, you're going to take a long road doing that. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Conversely, to your point, Morgan, you don't want to get lost in the story. Okay? Yeah. The re-wounding, the re-trauma experience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because then it becomes a cesspool of yep. mental emotional activity and sometimes that too can bring about a catharsis of understanding of the self right i mean psychology sure. is basically built upon that I mean, you could do 20 years of therapy or 20 years of affirmation okay those <laughs> yeah a lot of, and i'm i'm exaggerating when i'm saying 20 years it may not take you that <laughs> or <long>. not <laughs> or, or not i don't really know i don't you know i don't go, avail myself of psychotherapists often that said, there is something that lies in between those two polar opposites. And that third thing is the ability to observe, which is the function of consciousness. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I'm talking to your listeners here who might be skeptical, skeptical. Right. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, all right, but I'm you too. But I've been meditating for a very long time, 40 some odd years. Yeah. Yeah. I am nowhere near as observant and conscious as I would like to be. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I, I yeah. mean this sincerely, guys. Yeah. And, you know, Me too. I, mm. I don't, and I'm quoting my friend Charles Tart here when I say this I don't know what enlightenment is. All I can say for certain is I'm not so in darkened anymore. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh that, my gosh. Yes. That means a lot to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, what am I not so in darkened by? How would there, how did I clear, clear the waters through the observer to look at your life history, to look at the buried content within the subconscious that you may you know, have put aside in some deep closet within your psyche or just not even paid attention to it. It's like, you know, my mom used to make these offhand comments all the time about my weight, you know, and I just absorbed it. You know, I just, mm -hmm. I didn't even think that it had an impact after that first ouch, you know. But now I've got this self-image, and I'm not talking about myself. I love where I'm at with my weight, but I'm just talking about you know, mundane examples again. If it becomes a part of you, you have to be able to step back from it. Yeah. To look at the you that it has become a part of. 
that's what I refer to as the observer. And it's not something I've invented. And this is just part of the triad mind training. It's something that's important to develop. Why is it important to develop? Because now you can look at this information, this content, and say, this is part of my story. Some of it I knew, some of it I didn't know. It's revelatory. But now it's here. Now I'm looking at it. I'm not that. <laughs> I'm not that content. Yeah, I love it that, is, that, that identification. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's like reading a book, you know, you, you read a book, a good novel, and for, you know, however long it takes you to consume this novel, you live vicariously through the protagonists and antagonists in the novel, and you, you live in the story, right? And then you put the book away, and it's not your life. It's not who you are. It doesn't identify you, right, on one level. But on another level, it's also well known that you are what you read. Right. Yeah. So somewhere that content is now living and having its way within you. If you can observe all of this content, whether it be in the conscious stratum while you're in your waking life, because life is a meditation at a certain point, or mm -hmm. if you want it to be, by developing this observer. If you take that observer into altered states of consciousness, like the hypnagogic state, and observe that content emerging and can make the discernment as to whether or not it is coming from a subconscious storage unit, so to speak, you can do things with that. Things that are much more powerful than saying, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> yeah. No, you can find out exactly what it is that makes you good enough you can find out exactly what it is that where your intelligence lies. And in being that authentic self, something occurs. People start liking you. Yeah. You bring into resonance the people that are important to have in your life. That law of attraction we were speaking about before is not just about, you know, Maseratis and millions of dollars, right? It's about attracting love into one's life, mm -hmm. relationship. All of these relationships, whether it be to money, to things, to people, are vibrational in nature. Yeah. Change your internal vibration and things come to you. Absolutely. And that's, I, that's a risk. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I, I think so. And I, I think it really speaks to the courageousness of vulnerability. And being vulnerable to to look at some of this stuff, and Eckhart Tolle he talked quite a bit about the idea that that manifestation really does come down to one step, and that is becoming one with the present moment. And as mentioned, everything that you've just talked about as well, it's just that idea that it in becoming one with that present moment, which isn't to say you might not like the present moment, you don't have to like it, mm -hmm. but being at one with it, being at peace with it, and then being able to be the observer, quiet the mind in, right. in that moment, release that resistance is really what is aligning you with the, the, the core of, of who, who we are. And which is, you know, that source that, you know, whatever, whatever it is that we've 
you know, consciousness, whatever label people want to put on it. But I, it's, I, it's so, it's so interesting to me how it, I think people, they, they do, they get, they get hung up in these, in these, these various aspects. And yet this, this really comes back to something that is, is so simple is so at our core and everybody has access to this. Everybody can do it. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, which is, which is amazing. Mark, we could talk to you for hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did, we, did we reach our hour then? Are oh. we good? Yes, we, we definitely did. We well. did, but I'm like, I, I'm not done. I would love to have you back again so that we can continue this conversation because there is more to talk about. Oh, there's so much more. Guys. Yeah. Really oh, is. It is. How can people to find out about the, where can they download the podcast, expanding on consciousness, um, get involved with the triad mind, all of that stuff lay on right. us. Well, it's plug time. So pay attention people and get out your yes. pencil and paper. And it will be in the show notes as well. <laughs> yeah. I'll oh, put terrific. links in the show notes. So the expanding on consciousness podcast hosted by yours truly can be found on just about every one of the uh, individual podcast stations that are out there. So you'll find it on Spotify. You'll find it on Apple. You'll also find it on the Monroe Institute's website. You'll also find it on the newly developed, but not yet released Triad Mind website, which I'll give you the addresses in just a moment. But it can be found just about anywhere. And I really do encourage you to listen because especially if you happen to be skeptical and like science, believe me, I understand you and I hope that you'll pay attention to what's being presented. So that's plug number one, Expanding on Consciousness podcast. You can find that at the Monroe Institute, MonroeInstitute.com. They'll, they'll have an immediate link to it. You, can, you can't miss it. The triadmind.com, that's spelled T H E T R I A D M I N D.com, is my website. I present a three, uh, three levels of membership on that website for anybody who is interested in getting involved in meditation for the purposes that I just um, explored, at least in part with you guys um very practical level meditation exercises you know if your doctor's telling you your your hypertension needs to be addressed and you think meditation might be a good idea or you can't sleep or you want to learn to focus the binaural beat complexes that exist on the recordings of level one are all, all oriented towards those goals very simple non-dogmatic philosophically neutral the second level of triad mind membership orients itself towards the questions about what if that arise from the spiritual questions that I'm sorry, from the spiritual questions that arise um, as a result of uh, you know, looking into people looking into meditation. Uh, the various experiences and transcendence are oriented towards that in level two membership. And again, we're talking about minimal dollars. You can, you know, cancel any time that streams. It's $5 for level one, $10 for level two, cancel any time or stay a member forever. It's up to you. The Triad Mind program is a program of self-actualization and self-realization, talking you know, very deeply about and getting direct experience of these principles that we discussed during the course of this podcast. 
This is a three-stage program. Stage, pro stage one is all that currently exists on the website. I'll be presenting it as well at the Monroe Institute in March, and we have one scheduled for July as well. Um, but it is a home study course. Nobody's going to be there with you. Nobody's going to hold you accountable. You do the work on your own. You will explore the hypnagogic state. You will explore this place where all of these limiting belief structures exist. You will get a observer is very keenly developed in the beginning of that program. I also present this online to help people who desire group dynamics and accountability. We call them the observances, which is a plural noun for a bunch of hermits getting together, by the way. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I love that. <laughs> that is cool. That's great. It's I mean, so perfect. It, it, it sounds almost anathema. You know, why would hermits get together to begin with? And what are they, why do they call it the observances? Great, great. Anyway, that's what I call them. And we hold those for level three members who join uh, once or twice a year. And we meet together as a group of 30 to 50 or however many people show up. Um, and we discuss this. And we try to hold each other accountable to degrees, you know, where we try to encourage each other to go a little bit deeper. And uh, so levels uh, four and five of the membership will be um, will consist of the second and third stage of the Triad Mind program, where we'll be exploring lucid dreaming to help integrate a lot of this content, work through the complexes, etc. And then um, level three is very much oriented towards directing, controlling, and using that consciousness energy towards specific goals some of which can be for the greater good so that's my long pitch thank you for letting me <laughs> do it and of course you know please come to the monroe institute if you feel like you can do it as morgan told you it's a magical place and we'll be completely immersed in that work for the week that i'm there awesome oh, phenomenal <laughs> Phenomenal. I've got to take a vacation at some point. <laughs> and sorry about your brain cool. leaking out there, Mike. I'm, no, I, you, you know what? I, I, it's probably best that it does. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's full of those old ideas that I was talking about. It, it does often on these interviews anyway. So yeah. he's used to yeah. cleaning it up. It's okay. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, <laughs> the, the conversation of consciousness is really a very mind blowing conversation. You know? Yeah, it really Absolutely. is, and it's posted. It should be, right. yeah, exactly. Well, guys, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It was nice to chat with you. I hope it didn't bore yeah. your audience yeah. at all. Oh, not at all. Gosh, yeah. no. Thank you, Mark. This has been wonderful. That's a pleasure. Right. With mine. Thank you again for the invite. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Talk to you later. Bye, bye. Here's Morgan for this episode's segment of Spiritual Healthcare. In this episode's edition of Spiritual Healthcare, the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called the doesn't matter if process. It's really easy to fall into our own limiting beliefs. We all have days when we think to ourselves, oh, this just isn't going to happen for me. Life is against me. I'll never have my dreams. Fill in the blank. And sometimes it's simply too difficult to get ourselves into a better feeling thought about any of it. 
this is a process for those moments. Decide you're going to treat yourself. This time, it's not to ice cream or a new shirt, but that you're going to treat yourself to a day where you pretend you have what you want. You're not expecting it to happen, but finding that feeling place to simply give yourself a break. You deserve to feel good. You deserve a day where you feel like you are on top of the world. What's interesting about this process is that many times releasing the pressure of why won't it manifest and replacing it with, I don't care if it does or doesn't, but I'm going to feel good anyways because I deserve to feel better, allows us the emotional space to let it come. But let your overall intention be, I deserve to feel like this, abundant, loved, healthy, joyful, like everything works out for me. Give it a try and watch what comes. You need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. Remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances, a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast podcast network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show at DarkPatine.com. Feel free to email the show at SupernaturalCircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now. <laughs>